0: You're listening to the Coastal Church Audio Podcast with Pastor Dave Coop. If you Google the history of Christmas, there's a lot of things that could be said. You could talk about the history of uh, Santa Claus. We have the Santa Claus Parade happening right after this service, right? And uh, by the way, when you leave today, uh, I'm not sure if you can... St- Cross the street normally the way you do. I know we never jaywalk, but uh, uh, you, you're going to have to cross the street maybe at certain places. So just a heads up for you. Uh, what a great day for Santa Claus Parade. Isn't it last year rain, but today we got amazing sunshine. What a great day in December for Santa Claus Parade. So just make, take note of that when you leave today, that that parade's going to be ramping up starting at 1 o'clock. So shortly after this, uh, you'll get to see that. We could talk about the history of Santa Claus. He goes back to the year about 300. And at that time, there was a saint by the name of Nicholas. And uh, there's more European churches named after Saint Nicholas than any other patron saint. So he's pretty popular guy. And over the years, he's morphed into something quite different than what he was back then. He was known to be generous and all the rest of it. Coca-Cola ran ads in the 30s and started every year with a new picture of Santa Claus. And today, we have uh, Santa Claus that I'm sure doesn't look anything like uh, St. Nicholas. If we could go back in time. There's a lot of interest in time machines these days. Time traveler's wife and all these different time machines. And if we could bring him into today's world, I think he'd say, oh, no, that is not me. I am nothing like this guy. I've never been to the North Pole. I don't know anything about reindeer. What have you done to me? But we can't do that. So it is what it is. Uh, and he certainly didn't have Rudolph. He wouldn't have known who Rudolph was. Uh, that that was uh, dreamt up by uh, somebody who worked for a Montgomery Ward, a department store, and they created Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And he pulls this team of uh, well, he works with a team of reindeer pulling the sled for Santa Claus. And you could talk about that history, uh, but these guys are right. You can't find that in the Bible. That's not really in the in the headwaters. The true history of Christmas. We could talk about mistletoe you could talk about candy canes you could talk about uh a lot of things i guess when you want to talk you could talk about christmas trees we have christmas tree up here they're not in the bible either but we like them uh we could you know there's some spiritual meanings behind it you could put spiritual meaning behind candy canes you know there's 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 debate over that, actually, because some people say, no, the guy who made the candy cane put three stripes on to represent the Trinity, and the red represents the blood of Jesus. That's the one us Christians like the most, but some others, they don't like that version, so who knows? I don't know, Uh, and then the Christmas tree, there's a story that Luther was coming home one night, and he's walking through the trees, the evergreen trees, and through the trees, he looks up, and he sees the stars, and he goes... Oh, what a good idea. Let's put candles on the Christmas tree. And today we've gone from candles to now you just plug in the tree. We got one of those in the apartment I live in. It's white and it's got a little tin star on the top. And you just you just kind of take it out of the box and it's just like an umbrella. It's up, Open plug it in, all the lights up, you know, in less than three minutes, you got a Christmas tree and lights, and it looks just as commercial as you can get. It's just, yeah. Anyhow, so that's not in the Bible for sure. A lot of stuff that we have at Christmas is not in the Bible. Yeah, you know what? God likes celebrations. So, you know, He's okay with it. I mean, if we want to have Christmas trees, He's all right with that. If you want to have candy cane and eggnogs and mistletoe, it doesn't bother God. As long as that doesn't become a distraction for the main thing. If it becomes a distraction for the main thing, then God wants to deal with our hearts. And so the message today is to let's rediscover the history. It's important. That the main thing stays the main thing. And so we're going to go back and let's really look at the history of Christmas. Let's rediscover it. Let's look at it again. Because that's really where our faith is rooted. Christmas is not in your heart. You're not going to experience Christmas. You can do Christmas, but it, you, you won't experience Christmas. It has to be in your heart. Christmas actually started in a pretty dark time. Pretty messy. And we're going to look back at that. It started dark, started messy. It's a lot like a true story of a boy in one of the Prairie Provinces. He's seven years old. He's standing by the bank of the river, 1978, June 5th. He falls into the river. He's washed downstream. The boy frantically is trying to swim, trying to get to shore. There's people that are watching... But nobody jumps in. When the police arrive, they ask the obvious question. Why didn't somebody jump in and save the seven-year-old boy? Nobody jumped in. Nobody saved him. He drowned tragically. The reason nobody jumped in was just upstream from the river was a sewage plant. And it was dumping raw sewage into the river. Nobody wanted to jump in because nobody wanted to die or be contaminated by the putrid filth that was in the river. And the police officer said, what a shame that nobody wanted to get dirty to save somebody. Guess what? The world that Jesus came into was a polluted river, filthy, messy. He jumped into a polluted river to save us. That's in a nutshell, the history of Christmas. So let's unpack it a little bit this morning. If you're in Matthew chapter 1, a good place to start... Let's look at the genealogy. It's probably not your favorite chapter. It's probably, you, don't, you probably don't have it underlined. You know, if you go there, you sometimes you've got underlined verses. Chances are this one is not highlighted in your Bible. Maybe you'll highlight it after today. I don't know. But the book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. We're starting in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac begot Jacob. Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez begot Hezron, Hezron begot Ram, Ram begot Amminadab, Amminadab begot Nashom, and Nashom begot Salam, Salam begot Boaz by Rahab, Boaz begot Obed by Ruth, Obed begot Jesse, David the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. So it's not the most riveting chapter so far, is it? But let's, let's drill a little deeper and you'll find out it's pretty amazing. If you look at the genealogy of Jesus, if you look really at the history of Christmas, one of the things you're going to discover right away is if you just peel back a few layers, there's a lot of scandal in this genealogy. It's interesting to know that um, God is, uh, works in the scandals that we have in our life. If you had the news on it all this week, you know that uh, there was a very famous person that was in a scandal. His name's Tiger Woods. And every night show comedian was making jokes about him. If you read the paper, there was all kinds of you know he's in the woods and you know it was a that was a poor drive. He only you know, there's all kinds of jokes and and you really you know you you feel for him, but there was just this feeding frenzy of of the media around this scandal. I heard one person say, when will we ever get scandal fatigue? Will we ever get tired of scandals and just go back to the news? And I don't know if we ever will because there's this curiosity about scandal. We want to know about it. We want to exploit it. We want to make money about it. We'd like to gossip about it. But we don't want to jump into the sewage and save it. We'd rather just talk about it and make fun about it. I think God's very interested in scandals for a different reason. I think he's interested in jumping into there and pulling people out of scandal and saying, I want to restore your life. So there's scandal in the history of his genealogy, and it speaks today that in the scandals of our life, Jesus wants to come and wants to rescue us from that. Our Lord's approach to somebody like Tiger Woods caught in a scandal is very different than the media. He's not there to exploit it. He, he, he's not going to make a joke about Tiger Woods. He's not going to undermine him. He doesn't want his marriage to be wrecked. He's interested in the others that were in the scandal. He really wants to restore their lives so they can go on and have amazing lives. That's, that's our Lord's perspective. And as believers, that becomes our DNA. That's what we want to do. So let's look at this first chapter and just explore it a little bit deeper. There's four ladies that are mentioned here in this first six verses. They're all foreigners that got woven into the genealogy of Jesus. Luther calls them foreigners. The first one's Tamar. By the way, if you read their stories, they're all R-rated. R-rated movies in the Bible. They're all R-rated. Tamar, the first one, her life is... Well, her life's a mess. Let me just give you a little snapshot of this genealogy because this is where Jesus comes. He comes, he jumps into the sewage. He jumps into the polluted mess and he rescues mankind. Tamar is an example. Tamar is living in a day and age where you have arranged marriages and her father-in-law finds her as a wife for his son. Her father-in-law is living kind of a messed up life. He's walked away from the things of God. She marries his oldest son. His oldest son's got his issues in his life. Because of issues in his life, he doesn't live very long. He dies. She has a funeral for her first husband. I mean, that that in itself is tragedy. You, You bury your husband. But the culture of the day is that if the oldest son dies, then they'll give you the second son in line. So that the first son in line has some descendants, because that's your, that's your retirement plan, your children. And so he said, you know, we'll, we'll give this to the first. This will carry on also the name of that first son. So she's got to marry son number two in line. Son number two in line is not really thrilled about marrying Tamar. He's not really thrilled about giving his offspring to his older brother. And so he marries her, and uh, they're supposed to have children. And if you read Genesis chapter 38, you can read the rest of the story. But uh, he has sex with her. And the Bible says he spilt his seed on the ground. Okay. I told you this. I read it. He spilt his seed on the ground. And so she doesn't have children. And she's perceived to be barren. And life is pretty tough for her. It's, it's a scandal. It's a mess. And the second son dies. So two funerals. First husband, second husband they're gone. Now the guy's got another son, son number three, but with his lightning fast mind, he figures out, you know what? I don't want to give you son number three. The track record's not very good. Uh, he's going to be a teenager soon, but I think better. You just go live with your mom and dad. And, uh, you know what? When he gets old enough, I'll send him your way. This is her hope too. She really, she needs to marry somebody. She doesn't have the world that we live in today. So she's really wanting, she needs to get married and that's their culture. Well, she goes home to live, but guess what? He never gives son number three to her. She's, she's a widow now for life. But then one day she finds out that her father-in-law and his friend, they're going up to a little party, a sheep-shearing party. They would shear sheep, and they'd have a little celebration with it, and her father-in-law's on his way up there. So she comes up with this plan, and I, I'm warning you, it's a mess, okay? It's, God comes into messy lives, into scandals. She parks herself by the side of the road, and wears a different outfit, and she poses as a temple prostitute. The father-in-law comes by, and I told you his life's a little bit messed up. He sees her and says, hey, I'd like to sleep with you. Uh, what's it going to take? And she says, well, what do you got? He says, well, I'll give you a goat. Apparently back then that was a pretty good price. I don't know. And, uh, and she says, okay, I'll take the goat. And she says, well, he's like, oh, one problem, I don't have the goat with me. And she says, Oh okay, uh I want some collateral. And he says, Well, I've got a my staff and my 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 signet, which is like basically it's your your corporate seal. It's your it's like your bank card with the pin number, okay? And he she says, I'll have that as collateral. And now guys do stupid things, okay? And he, he does stupid things. He he gives that to her as collateral. So she gets pregnant and goes back home and uh, he still owes her a goat and she's got his signet ring right so he says to his buddy that went to the sheep-shearing party of them. Hey, buddy, you know what? Go visit this lady. Please bring her a goat. I need my signet ring, and I need this, uh, my staff back. So he goes there, and he asks, hey, where's this lady that always sits by the road? Says, there's no lady that sits by the road there. So he asks some men in town, hey, guys, do you know of a hooker who hangs out here at this corner? And they go, no, there's no hooker. There's never been any hooker there. And he comes back to his, the father, and he says, hey, I went there. There is no hooker on that corner. He goes, we got a problem. He says, what about your signet ring and your staff? He goes, "Uh, you know what? It's too embarrassing. Just let it be. I told you it's messy. It's a scandal. So three months goes by. She's showing. Word gets back to the father-in-law. Your daughter-in-law is pregnant, and she has been playing the part of a hooker. He, He flips out. He goes, bring her to me. We're going to get to the bottom of this and I'm going to deal with this. And he's really upset to the point that he wants her executed. I mean, it's a tough culture. He says, bring her to me. And so she comes up and he says, I hear this report that you got pregnant. And and he's on a rant. He says, I want to know who did this thing. And she says, well, as a matter of fact, the one who owns the staff and the signet ring is the father. And he's like, oh my goodness. And to his credit, he says, you know what? You're more righteous than I am. Yes, I I did this. And she gives birth to twins. This is the genealogy of our Lord and Savior. What a mess. What a scandal. And maybe your life is messy. Maybe your background is messy. Maybe you're, Maybe there's scandal in your history. Maybe there was divorce. Maybe there was separation. This, these kids were born to prostitution and incest. That's a mess, right? Jesus dives into that sewage and says, I want to rescue you from the messes of life. This is the history, the genealogy. This is the background for our Christmas story. It's a long way from a Christmas tree and deck the house with boughs of holly. la 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 la. Is a season to be jolly. I mean, it is. It's great, but when you go to the history, you realize it was pretty messy. A lot of scandals. We could talk about Bathsheba. She's one of the four ladies in there. She's the one that David spotted when he should have been working. He was Look, should have looked the other way. <laughs> Saw her bathing. Invited her over to his house. Sleeps with her. She gets. She's pregnant tries to frame it like the husband did it when he doesn't follow along, has her, has him killed in war. That's murder. Got adultery. It reads like a bad soap opera. This is scandalous. This is messy. And out of it, that baby dies yet. And then she has another child, Solomon. Solomon's here in this genealogy. God uses people with messed up backgrounds. Now, I don't know what your background's like, but our family background wasn't perfect. But Jesus comes into there, and he redeems it and changes it. He, he comes into scandals. You could talk about Ruth. You could talk about the other ladies that are mentioned here. You could drill deeper and talk about some of the men also in this chapter. But he, these, these, this genealogy shows us that the human race could never produce a savior. Uh, it's a story, really, of not mankind reaching up as much as God reaching down to mankind when he came for us. So, in the history of Christmas, we certainly discover there's scandal. We discover there's hardship in this time. Maybe you, Are you going through a hard time? Is there hardship in your life today? Is there uh, things in your life that are challenging, that just are really hard, that make you get up at night and wrestle with it there there, are there places you don't want to go are there people you don't want to talk to because it's just hard it's uncomfortable it's inconvenient it's all that the bible history of christmas is filled with that look at mary for example mary luke chapter 2 verse 4 to 7 it's there in your notes and because joseph was a descendant of king david he had to go to bethlehem in judea david's ancient home He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, his fiancee, who was obviously pregnant by this time. And while they were there, the time came for her first, for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her first child, the son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth, laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the village inn. Now, you know what, we read that so many times. We've heard the Christmas story enough that we just kind of are familiar with it. But if we really went back to it and put ourselves into it, Ah, you know what? This is a pretty hard time for Mary. Mary's got some hard things going on in her life. She's a teenage girl. We don't know exactly how old she is. She could have been 15, let's say. And uh, one day an angel shows up there and says, Mary, you're, you're highly favored. And uh, God, Holy Spirit's going to overshadow you and you are going to become pregnant. And the Christ child, the Messiah, you'll give birth to the Messiah. Mary is like, I'm sure she swallowed pretty hard. She says, how can this be? And she asked some questions. And at the end of the day, she says, Lord, let it be done to me according to your word. I, I, I just believe it. I'll, okay, I'll believe that. And I think, you know, that was a pretty great moment when, when the angel appeared to her. And uh, she was, you know, there was, I'm sure there was a lot of mixed emotion with that. But I, if I could go back in time. I would like to just be a fly on the wall and see the day that she knocked on her mom's bedroom door. Mom, uh, are you there? Mary, is that you? Mom, can can I talk to you? Sure, Mary, come on in. We've always had a great relationship. What what's on your heart today? Well, I don't know how to say this, Mom. You know I love God, and you know I'd do nothing to hurt you and and Dad. But I'm pregnant. What? You're you're pregnant. Who said that? Well, mom, just just stay with me for a bit. This gets really complicated, okay? But you know what? I I was just doing my devotions the other day. Honest, I was just doing my devotions. and I was just meditating on what the priest said last week, and and an angel showed up. And you could just see her mom. An angel Okay, Mary, yeah. And an angel. That wasn't a dream. Honest, mom. It was in real life. An angel showed up. Okay, trying to keep her composure. What what did the angel say, Mary? Well, the angel said that I'm highly favored, chosen of God, and that the Holy Spirit's going to overshadow me, and I'm going to give birth to the Savior of the world. Okay, Mary, uh, I'll I'll discuss this with your father. How many you know that wasn't an easy thing to do? I think that was really hard for Mary just to talk to her mom. And then she is pregnant. She starts to show. And she's got relatives who are, you hear about Mary? She's got this concocted story. You won't believe this. But she's been telling her parents and others that she's going to give birth to the Messiah. Yeah. But you know what I think? Look at the scandal around Tiger Woods. It was no different with her. Their neighbors were talking. And you know when people talk behind your back? You know what you want to do? You want to go up to each one of them and say, it's not like that. It's like this. Don't believe them. Uncle Joe, please trust me. It's not what they're saying. It's like this. You you want to straighten it out. It's not easy. It's hard. And you've been talked about. People have talked behind your back. You've been undermined. This was Mary. Her husband wanted to put her away, but he didn't. There was a challenge with her fiance. Oh, what's my husband going to think? My husband-to-be. I love this guy. Is this going to be a mess? Ah. And then we got the government now come along and say he wants to tax us. we got to go to Nazareth, from Nazareth to Galilee. She's now showing a lot, 110 kilometers, uphill all the way. Swollen ankles, not walking like she used to, 15 years old, 110 kilometers. But pastor, she rode a donkey. Well, we don't know she rode a donkey. That's not in the Bible. Maybe she did. Maybe she didn't. There were poor people. Likely she had to walk that 110 kilometers. It was not convenient. It was challenging. It was hard. Sometimes following God is not easy. Sometimes it's tough. But in the midst of that, Jesus jumps in. In the midst of our hardship, Jesus shows up and says, I will be with you. I will be your shepherd. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. When you rediscover the history of Christmas, you find out that it's a mess in so many ways. It's hard in so many ways. But this is the planet that we live on. And that's where Jesus jumps in. He doesn't gossip about it. He doesn't avoid it. He gets in that sewage of life and helps us to come out and saves us. That's what he does. It was hard. It was inconvenient for Mary. It was difficult, but he was there. There was confusion and fear. Mary was confused and disturbed. Joseph was afraid. And in life, there's fear. There's confusion. Jesus came to lift the confusion from our lives. It's like the fog that rolls in here into Vancouver. It rolls in the morning, and as the sun comes out, the fog gets burnt off. It it lifts. And when Christ comes into your life where you have confusion, the fog dissipates. It lifts. But for some of us this morning, we're confused. Do I go this way or do I go that way? What am I supposed to do with this? God, I I think you, you want me to do this in my life, or I think I'm supposed to go this way. But right now, God, it's really confusing. And right now things are changing. There's a change coming in my life and I'm a little bit afraid and I'm a little bit confused. If that's what you feel, that's why Jesus came. This is the history of Christmas. Jesus jumps into that and says, I'm here to help you. So you don't have to be confused and you don't have to be afraid. This is the history of Christmas. This is what he came into in the history of Christmas. We have grief, very dark grief is dark. Herod was there. He was upset, and he sent his soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under. That was one sad day in Bethlehem. How many here this morning have have children under two years of age? Okay, a good number of hands going up. Just think of, of your child. Soldiers come to your door. Where's your kid? You got a boy who's under two. You have no choice. You're weeping, you're crying, you're screaming, no, don't, don't. But they take that child and in front of you with a sword, they execute your son. There's a lot of grief. That's a mess. That's deep hurt. We have some atrocities in our world today. People that shouldn't have been killed people that have been slaughtered, people that have been abused. We think of what happened, the killing fields in Cambodia. Jesus jumps into that. We think what happened in Rwanda. Jesus jumps into that. It's repulsive to us. Unless we have God with us, we, we wouldn't go there. But into that he comes. Let's make it more at home. Maybe we've lost a parent this year. Maybe we lost a grandparent. Maybe we lost a child this year. It's the first Christmas without them. Every year, we've bought them a gift. This year, we don't buy them a gift because they're not here. It can be a very challenging Christmas. There can be grief still. But into that, Jesus steps. That's the history of Christmas. Into this, Jesus came. There could be jealousy. There was darkness in that time because of jealousy. Matthew 2, verse 1 to 3. And after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Herod didn't want anybody else to be king. He was, he was driven by jealousy. And in that jealousy, jealousy is terrible. You know jealousy is worse than anger? Proverbs twenty seven four. Maybe write this verse down beside that other one. Proverbs twenty seven four. Anger is cruel, but who can survive the destructiveness of jealousy? If you've ever dated somebody, you know maybe high school dating or maybe college or it could even be a marriage, and that other person is jealous. Ooh, it's, it turns out to be a mess. You know, the girlfriend is walking down the hall with her boyfriend, and some guy says hi to her, and the other guy, the boyfriend, he flips out. Who is that? How come you said hi to him? You don't say hi to me like that. When did you see him last? Are you texting him? Is that what you're doing? I saw the way you looked at him. Meanwhile, I mean, she's she's like... Please, I just said hi to him. He's an old friend, cooling already, all right? The next day, that guy said hi to you. Did you, have you text him again? Or have you, have you talked to him? Like, it's destructive. And all of a sudden, the relationship's over. Jealousy will, it's a terrible thing. It can come into marriage. It can, not just there, it could come into, into the workplace. So-and-so got a promotion and we're jealous of them. Jealousy is a yucky thing for lack of a better term. I don't think if you Googled Yikki, I don't know if it's a word, but let's add it to the English vocabulary, Yiki, It's destructive. It certainly is. Jealousy is a fear you don't have value. Herod was afraid another king would come. It's a fear you don't have value and that others will be preferred more than you. The cure for it, is to know that God values you, that he'll jump into you and save you. And when you know that, now listen very carefully, because this is for somebody this morning. Jealousy, again, is a fear you don't have value, and that somebody will be preferred more than you. The guy who's jealous of some guy says hi to his girlfriend is afraid that he does not have enough value for his girlfriend to like him. And so he becomes jealous and it destroys the relationship. The cure is to know that you do have value, especially from God. And then when you know God values you, well, if God values you, then you can value yourself. This is very important because if you love yourself, you'll love your neighbor. But if you don't love yourself you will end up being jealous. It's, it's a root of jealousy. That's a mess. Into that mess, Jesus jumps. Refugees are in this story. Matthew chapter 2, verse 14, the history of Christmas has refugees. Who's a refugee? Jesus, Joseph, Mary. They leave and they go to Egypt and they live there for a couple years. Being a refugee is no fun. Being an immigrant is no fun. We have often in our prayer cards, people say, today I have to go for immigration. Or today I want to get my landed immigrant status in Canada. Or today I, I have this procedure to go through towards becoming a Canadian citizen. And they're, they're concerned about it. You know what? Jesus can relate to you. He was a refugee. He was a refugee in Egypt. And Egypt at that time did not have the social network that we have in Canada. Come to Canada is challenging enough. Going to Egypt back then was really tough. They didn't have any social network of any kind. But yet into that situation, that difficulty, Jesus jumps into that. So when we have a card that comes in, I want here, I'm an immigrant, I'm a refugee. Some people will say, you know, we don't want you in our country. Some people would say, have fun with that. I hope you make it. But they're not going to help you. Jesus, on the other hand, says, I'm jumping in. You need help? I'm there. You're an immigrant. You need to get status here. I'm be there. I want to help you. This is our Lord. This is the history of Christmas. So, man, this is the strangest Christmas message I've ever heard. Christmas starts pretty dark. It starts very dark. The reason I think God lays it out this way is because our lives have darkness and into that darkness, Jesus comes. Look at John 12, 46. Jesus said, I have come as a light to shine in this dark world so that all who put the trust in me will no longer wander in darkness. If you've had a scandal in your life, how many know that that for the rest of your life, you can wander in darkness because you've had a scandal. Jesus comes in your life. You don't have to wander in darkness the rest of your life. If jealousy gets a hold of you, you can wander in darkness the rest of your life. We could list a whole bunch of others. We've just given a few this morning. Fear, confusion, that darkness. You can wander in that and never really discover your purpose. But when Jesus comes into it, it's good news. You discover purpose. You discover peace. Now, in the history of Christmas... I'm going to bring out a couple messages that came straight from the throne of God. Okay, these are the angels came, and these are some of the things that the angels said. Now, I think if we're going to discover history, we should go back and say what was said during that time. Okay, so these are the headlines from heaven back then. OK, if they were Twittering back then, these are the Twitters that happened in, in that time. OK, so the angels were Twittering these messages. Here's the messages that came. Number one, his birth will be a miracle. It won't be uh, a myth. It's not some magic. He will be born of a virgin. That's very important to us as Christians. The virgin birth. So why is that so important? Because his blood was not from his mom or dad. The blood of Jesus came from Father God. No sin in it. Leviticus tells us the life of the flesh is in the blood. And our Lord's blood had no sin in it. So when he died, sinless, spotless blood was shed to pay for our sins. So very important. Jesus will save you from your sin. He'll jump in. We heard that message from the angels. We hear the message of Emmanuel, God with us in the messes of life. God is very good at taking a mess and making a message out of it. That's what he does with our lives. We could fit ourselves somewhere into the history of Christmas. And then he will be a shepherd to care for you in the everyday challenges of life. A shepherd to walk with you. He will set up a spiritual kingdom. And he will reign as a king for you. Uh, he'll reign in our lives. I'm just going through these very quickly for the sake of time. Number six, Jesus' birth is good news. That will bring joy in a broken world. Let's pause it just for a sec. Luke two ten, 10. Angel said to him, do not be afraid for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. Not just any kind of joy. Great joy. Man, if you're the kid who jumped into the river or slipped into the river, you didn't jump into that river. You slipped into that river. And somebody jumps in and saves you and pulls you out. How many know that's great joy? You go, thank you very much for the rest of your life. You thank that person. Thank you. I'm so excited. I was drowning, man. You saved me. That's great joy. So this is our Lord. Great joy, which will be to how many people? All people. And then number seven, Jesus will extend his peace and goodwill to everyone i like this verse to close on luke 2 13 and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising god and saying look at this verse closely glory to god in the highest and on earth 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 if you google earth if you turn on your iphone and and hit that little button it'll google right here 1160 west georgia so right now 1160 west georgia is earth correct God says, right now, to 1160 West Georgia, I extend what? It says, I want to give peace, goodwill, which means purpose toward men. So here at 1160 West Georgia this morning, God says, I extend peace. Anybody want peace? I extend peace to you. He says, I extend goodwill towards you, purpose. I'll take you out of the mess of life, out of the darkness, lift you up, and I extend purpose to you. I extend purpose towards you. But notice, it's towards you. It's not forced on you. It's, it's towards you. And you can stay in the river. Or you can say, I'll take the hand. Thank you, God. Thank you for the peace. And if you'll embrace it, then the peace and the goodwill comes into your life. There's a saying, Jesus is the reason for the season. It's true. But maybe it could be better said, you're the reason for the season. You're the one that was in the scandal, in the jealousy, or in the hardness, in the confusion, the fear. And into that world, Jesus came, that we might have life. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like to download free notes from this message, then visit our website, www.coastalchurch.org.